The Basement Review wants to thank our sponsor, HelloFresh. Forget takeout. HelloFresh delivers all the ingredients for delicious, healthy meals anyone can prepare at home in less than 30 minutes. Go to HelloFresh.ca and use promo code REVIEW50 to get 50% off your first order. I'm Jason Collette, and you're listening to the Basement Review Podcast. In this episode, we have a couple of songwriters who, after cutting their teeth out west, have relocated to Toronto to pay exorbitant rent while they tour the world. The superfine Hannah Georges and Reuben in the Dark's Reuben Bullock. Sandwiched in between is the self-deprecating brilliance of novelist poet Pasha Mala, who's abandoned Toronto for Hamilton's more artist-friendly real estate. He joins Damien and I for a chat as well. Welcome to the Basement Review Podcast. Our next guest is originally from Newmarket, Ontario. She grew into herself as a musician in the Vancouver scene, and after two critically acclaimed records, has just relocated to this very fine neighborhood of ours. It's good to have her back. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the one and the only Hannah Georges. I'm going to play a song called enemies. When I see full of sharks swimming around and around if we could cut Oh, 
Georges, ladies and gentlemen. My apologies to Vancouver, but suck it up. She's ours now. Uh, a real basement review favorite, Pasha Mala, is going to tell us a story. He is the author of five books, most recently, Erratic Fire, Erratic Passion, co-written with Jeff Parker. This is a collection of poems taken from the language used in sports casting, uh, which is natural poetry. <laughs> His first collection of short stories, The Withdrawal Method, came out in 2008. It was a Globe and Mail National Post Book of the Year. And he is also one of the funniest people I know, Pasha. So one of the things about the Basement Review is that you'll see three people get up here and do one of the most achingly beautiful things you've ever seen and suddenly you like believe in God and then some fucking ass clown gets up and yeah. So, um, sorry. I also have a cold. I'm gonna probably inadvisedly spit my halls into my Guinness. If anyone can give me a good name for this drink, I'll, I'll make you one. So, so usually for these things, and I don't know why I keep getting invited back, because this is, this is it. Um, but uh, I have, these guys are really nice, and I usually try to write something special uh, for, the, for the Basement Review, just like a particular thing that is usually some kind of disaster. But uh, I just had this book out that Jam uh, Damien was talking about, it's called Erratic Fire, Erratic Passion. 
and it's so good that I thought it would be a disservice to you all not to read from it. And uh, I say that because uh, I made this book with my, my good friend Jeff Parker, who uh, I wanted to come here, but he's in Moscow, so the com commute was a little difficult. And um, it's, we didn't write a word in it. It's the whole thing is made from the words of professional athletes. Uh, from interviews and uh, press conferences. So it is without question the best thing I will ever write. And uh, um, so I'm gonna read you the, uh, a few selections from this volume of poetry. And it's so humiliating to be up here where there are like real poets in the room like who are really good. So anyway, uh, sorry to you guys too. I'll be out of here real soon. Uh, this is a poem called I Am Beautiful, Famous, and Gorgeous by Anna Kornikova. <laughs> I am beautiful, famous, and gorgeous. I have a lot of boyfriends. I want you to write that. Every country I visit, I have a different boyfriend, and I kiss them all. <laughs> a court is like a scene. People want to see attractive people. I think that tennis is a ladies' sport. So we should look out there like ladies. It's true, I always try to be as seductive as possible, but I wouldn't be here if I couldn't play tennis. I'm like a menu at an expensive restaurant. You can look at me, but you can't afford me. <laughs> the world believes all blondes are stupid and brunettes are smarter. Well, I disagree. Judgment is judgment, whether you're obese or too skinny or not athletic enough. I think it's really important for me not to forget where I came from. I grew up a little girl in the Soviet Union playing at a small sports club. At, the, at this year's Open, I'll have five boyfriends. <laughs> Anna Kornikova. So uh, I, did this, I did this thing I've never done before, which is just a recipe for humiliation, which is that I brought books to sell. They're over there if you want to buy one. And I just have this vision of me being like, what are the numbers and taking home the box uh, perfectly. So think of that when you're not buying a fucking book. Okay. Uh, this is called Darkness to Light, and my eternity was sealed by an NFL quarterback named Tim Tebow, who if you don't know, you've got to get familiar. He's a great Christian. Um, growing up, actually, my parents didn't let us have desserts a lot. But every Sunday, when we got home from church, we were able to eat as much ice cream as we wanted. So we'd go on the couch and watch football, and eat ice cream together, and we'd eat a lot. And I still love eating ice cream, although I try not to have it as much now, but I still love it. <laughs> so this is the final poem in the book, and one of my favorite moments in sports history. Um, I think this is just the most wonderful parody of every sports cliche and press conference and post-game interview. This is called Good Game. It's by Rashid Wallace, who played most famously for the Detroit Pistons. Um, good Game. 
It was a good game. Both teams played hard. <laughs> Both teams played hard, my man. Both teams played hard. Both teams played hard. God bless and good night. Pastor Mallon, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Mallon. It's always good to have you back, Pastor. We have one final guest this evening, ladies and gentlemen. He's a storyteller with a fascinating past, the son of a preacher. He spent his childhood traveling North America from town to town, never staying in one place for long. As a teenager, he rebelled against religion. Spurning those brimstone teachings while skateboarding semi-professionally and picking up a guitar at the age of 21 to begin expressing the tumult of emotion that comes with escaping such an acute religious upbringing. After a couple of solo releases and a chance meeting with members of Florence and the Machine in Mexico, he flew to London to record with their producer-drummer, Christopher Hayden. The project took hold and blossomed into Funeral Sky, the debut album of Ruben and the Dark that came out on Arts and Crafts just last year. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up to Ruben Bullock. If I knew I was playing last, I would have, uh, I would have eaten dinner. Instead of just sitting at the back drinking beer all night. Kind. And I'll twist your arm if you twist mine. 
Welcome to the Basin Review. Hi. It's nice to see you guys. It's very nice to have you here. Uh, so, Pasha, we've had you back to the Basin Review more than probably any other writer that I can think of. I'm like a scourge. <laughs> yes, a very entertaining scourge. And, uh, I mean, a lot of that, I think, is because you're not only a great writer, but you're an unusually good performer. How, like, What is your relationship to, to performing? Do you feel that... It's something you enjoy doing? Before I started doing this, I would go to readings and invariably be, just be bored out of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can't even remember who the writer was that I saw, but someone someone at some point did something different and there was a kind of energy to it that I was like, oh, these things can be fun. But I think in especially at Basement Review and things like in bars... Uh, if I'm going to get up in front of people and distract them from their drinking, I feel like I should do something that's going to be fun. I get pretty nervous at these things, and by pretty nervous, I mean, you know, don't sleep the night before. And and I decided at some point to really embrace that and, like, use that kind of neurotic energy to fuel what I do in front of people and to kind of turn myself into a caricature of myself. Um, and I find that that energy is something that if I embrace it, I can, I hope, turn it into a a kind of performance that becomes entertaining. I went to Los Angeles once to do a reading, and I didn't have that feeling before the reading, and I felt like, oh, good, I'm finally calm, I'll do this, this will be fine. It was easily the worst reading I've ever done. It was very flat. So I think, yeah, it's it's kind of been a process of um, just learning to like myself. <laughs> do you feel <laughs> And you couldn't you couldn't do that in California? Um not that time. Since then I've been to California and I really kind of got along with myself pretty well. 
I thought that's why people went to California was to learn to like themselves. Yeah. What I'm interested in is how much performance becomes a part of your writing process because humor is so central to even your very serious, you know, fiction writing. Um, and it's a huge part of like, um, what you publish is poetry, you know, um, and a lot of the short occasional pieces that you've created for, for the stage. So do you feel that writing itself has become a kind of performance? Is there a way that you're, you're using that neurotic energy to create the story on the page? No, I, I really think the two things are quite separate. I mean, performance for me, I'm so aware of the audience. And I think one of the reasons why I try to write things that are funny is that you immediately know whether or not the, the audience is responding. Like mm-hmm. if you write something sad, unless you hear sobs through the room, um, generally, you know, serious work is received with, you know, quiet kind of deference and silence. And it's really hard to read that silence, especially if you're on stage and there's lights in your eyes, to to see if the work is really kind of um, hitting where it's supposed to hit. And I, the thing I like about trying to be funny uh, is when you get the laugh back, it's like a kind of nice affirmation that what you're doing is being received. So, but I was going to say that the difference for me is that when I write, I'm I never think about audience, or very very rarely think about who will read it and how it will be received. Uh, George Saunders talks about writing as just trying not to suck, and uh, for me, that's that's kind of what I do when I sit down at the computer. Is like it's really just about my own evaluation of how badly I'm sucking and how less I can suck. Um, whereas on stage, it's much more, it feels like a, a, you know, the dynamic is much more conversational with whoever's watching or listening. When you're, because you do work in these different genres, um, what's the process like for you when you're shifting between them? Like if you're writing something that you know you're writing for performance, is that something that you're also thinking about writing so that you don't suck enough that you'd want to preserve that piece of writing? Or, you, or is it, does it feel like more ephemeral for you? Well, for a while I used to treat every reading as a, um, that I would write something specific to that reading, usually the night before, certainly the week of. So it would be fresh and I would feel nervous about it. And then I could sort of use that nervous energy in the performance. And also it felt like, you know, having seen writers read the same passage from the book again and again and again. And you can feel that their own energy for their work deflating a little bit. And I always, I kind of wanted to keep it fresh. So when I would write something specifically to read at Basement Review or at any reading, um, it was really like I would just sort of go with an idea and see where it would take me. So there was a kind of improvisation in that creation that I would then try to transfer on stage. And, you know, as I was reading, would sort of ad lib or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, um, there's something, you know, about what we do as writers. Like, you know, the goal is always the document, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's this kind of inbuilt pos- posterity that one is aware of when one is, like, writing. And I like to treat these things as something different. Like, the, that this is, you know, a chance to do something that like exists in a moment and then it's kind of gone. Like the ephemeral nature of that is, is kind of refreshing to me. But it's, it's the unplanned stuff. It's the stuff that where you're responding to a comment from the, from the audience, the, the stuff that's just there in that moment that so often becomes the spontaneous magic. Uh, and, and, and often trumps 
the piece of work you're performing. When there's just that conversation happening in mm-hmm. the moment and that isn't planned, that, that becomes part of the storytelling. And you're, you're amazing at it. Like you, you, half your performance is your intro to the piece that you're about to read. But that's where it's often most dynamic. Do you, yeah. I don't know if you remember what, when you're a woman just yelled, Read your shit already. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, as I, I was doing my, more than once, but my, yeah. my extended. <laughs> it wasn't me. I swear. Yeah, but that's the audience participation. She's yeah, participating no, no, no. in your own yeah. self affairs. And a guy heckled a guy heckled me one year. I don't yeah, know if you remember that. And he was wearing. Bit. Yeah, we did like a little back and forth. That was really. I mean, yeah, I think the chance for interaction, especially as a writer. I mean, the nice thing about I, to me, you know, sort of thinking vicariously and jealously of musicians is so much of what musicians do is communal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. I, the verb for music is to play. And I love that like what musicians do is play together. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. A writer plays alone most of the time. So I think, you know, writers, if, and it's certainly not, it's not for all writers, but to have that opportunity to interact with people is for me, it's uh, like, I welcome it. And I was going to say too, you know, that one of the things that I like about these events, in particular in these events and the intimacy of them is like, just a chance to have as an artist like a kind of physicality that doesn't happen as a writer. Like we are so disembodied from our work. Like, and and so you know, performance is such a major part of being a musician. Uh, and it is for many writers, I think this like kind of an annoyance that is this thing that you have to do is is sort of get up on stage. And so I I just like the I you know the chance to be a a human body in a room full of other people, like doing the thing that I do with other people sort of responding to it Mm. um yeah and i and i feel like also like you know the more virtual our existence has become as people and as writers uh you know the physicality of even the book object is disappearing you know so much of the writing that i publish these days only exists on the internet so really i mean it kind of exists in the imagination of people only um so i like I, i you know it's another reason why i sort of relish this opportunity to to be like a physical being and doing the thing that I do it's just it, it's kind of a different experience from from what my day to day is becoming increasingly I think Pasha so nice to have you thanks for coming it's yeah, great to see so you guys much, HelloFresh is on a mission to bring cooking back into our lives with real whole ingredients that are healthier and we can feel good about. They do all the shopping, planning, and deliver step-by-step recipes and their ingredients so we can relax and enjoy all there is to love about cooking. They plan, they shop, you cook. Go to HelloFresh.ca and use code REVIEW50 to get 50% off your first box.